Ladies, ladies, you don't have to wait for someone else to show enthusiasm for you. You can do that for yourself. We can do that together. Welcome to the Cup of Glow podcast. I'm your host, Gloria Darling, your sassy 60s milestone diva, and I have the t-shirt to prove it. The Cup of Glow podcast seeks to entertain, inform, and inspire you through serial stories and discussions prompting you, the milestone diva in our midst, to own your power. When was the last time you engaged in a job search or helped someone else with their job search? How much easier could it have been with a professional career coach on your side. Our guest today, Lisa Edwards, is a master resume writer, certified job search strategist, certified executive and leadership development coach, award-winning podcaster, the exclusive career coach, master practitioner of the Myers-Briggs type indicator, and national speaker on job search topics. Her practice includes clients on every continent except Antarctica. Lisa is focused on helping high-achieving mid-career professionals navigate their career and job search. Lisa has presented for organizations including National Association of Colleges and Employers, Diageo, Tops Corporation, Capital City Bank, Walton County Sheriff's Department, and Florida Virtual School. Lisa holds a Master of Public Administration degree from Columbus State University and a Bachelor's degree in Music Education from Florida State University. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much. I'm pleased to be here. And I just want to set the record straight. There are no humans in in Antarctica for me to write resumes for. There's only penguins and they don't need resumes. So that's the reason that I haven't broken into the Antarctica market. If we saw you talking to penguins, we'd have to send somebody out for you. Lisa, our primary audience is women age 50 and over. Most are high achievers still active in their careers. Let's start with what benefits can we expect when working with a career coach? I think career coaching is so fascinating in that I still, as recently as last week, was talking to someone and I said I was a coach and he said, what sport? (laughs) So, And I think most people, if they look at me, would maybe assume that it wasn't a sport that I coached. I'm not really built for that. But what's so great about career coaching is that it's a combination of mindset, skills, strategy, and resources that a that a career coach is going to bring to you. And so what I mean by that is it has to start with mindset. And so for for this audience, if you are, for example, a woman believing that you are too old to get a new job, we have to start there. We have to start with that core belief because that will not serve you. We also have people who don't know how to do a job search. What I'm seeing so much right now in this job market is people are relying on the job boards, which, as I have said many a time, 
are broken. And so when they are getting no results from job boards, guess what they do to solve that problem? They spend more time on the job boards. <laughs> this does not work. So they don't know how to do a job search. They need a strategy in place. And then they need certain skills. If they don't know how to interview, they're going to be at a disadvantage. They don't know how to work LinkedIn to their best advantage. They don't know how to network. So they need that skill set. And then they also need tools and resources that I provide for them, handouts, guides, materials of all sort. And I think at least as important as all of those things is having that expert in your corner, which is so different than having a sister or a, a child, a, a, a best friend who means well and who has your best interest at heart but doesn't know how this works. They can't offer you that expert perspective. So having someone who is 100% committed to your success, not married into, you know, who you used to be or any mistakes that you made along the way in your life or, you know, that's a crazy idea because of what you did back in the 80s. We, we, you have someone here who is going to look at you with fresh eyes and that expert perspective. So you're going to go further faster with a coach than you could ever go on your own. And that's really the bottom line. Very good. I've listened to your podcast, The Exclusive Career Coach, and love it. But during one of your episodes, you talked about show, grow, and know. Tell us more about show, grow, and know. This was specifically about stretch assignments in your current job. So let's say that you work for a government agency here. We, we both live here in Tallahassee. So you work for the, the Florida uh, state government. Show, grow, and know has to do with you really identifying, I, I want to take on a stretch opportunity for a specific purpose. So is it show? In other words, I have a skill that I'm not regularly getting to use in this job that I have. So I want this stretch opportunity to show my boss and perhaps other key decision makers in my organization what I'm capable of. Grow is I've got a piece of something that I want to expand on. I've started, I've dabbled in project management, for example, but I want to really expand that and make that an area of expertise. So I want to grow in that area. And then know could either be something I want to know. In other words, I want to have a knowledge about something, or it could be a person. So maybe I want to take on this stretch assignment because then I would be supervised by this other person in another department. And that's ultimately the department that I would like to move into. So I want to get to know that person. Or again, it could be a skill set, a, uh, um, I want to know how to do something. I want to know more about how to do it. So I want to, I want to know more. How does one initiate that? Do they see an assignment they think they want to tackle, but then approach the manager or leadership about it? How do they go about getting that first approval to move forward? Sure. So it could be a matter of raising your hand and saying, I will take on this need that has been stated. Oftentimes, however, it is an unmet need that hasn't been talked about, but you, with your specific, you know, skill set, your specific perspective, see 
here's something that I could really contribute to. Here's something that makes sense. I really want to do it. I'm excited about it. And then I'm going to go and pitch that. And so in that second scenario, you really just want to have your ducks in a row with what are the benefits to the employer. You can't make it all about yourself, even though that that is a big factor here. But you want to really talk about how you will benefit the company, the organization, the department, whatever it is, by you engaging in that activity. Well, you've seen a lot of resumes, I'm certain, and you've had to do some triage on them. Tell us about some of the biggest mistakes you've seen in resumes. Yes, so so many of them, but I can tell you two things that are universally uh, missing from the resumes that come to me with almost no exception. And I've I've reviewed tens of thousands of resumes. I've written thousands of resumes. And, and number one is... It's a resume that is focused entirely on job duties rather than achievements. So what you are telling a prospective employer is, I had a job with somebody doing something, and I got paid, and I did it. <laughs> there's no punch there. It's, there's nothing. Because those job duties don't differentiate you at all from your competition. If you used to be a program manager and a bunch of other people that are applying for the job or program managers, chances are you had similar job duties. What will differentiate you is how well you did that job, and that's where those bulleted achievements should come in. So you're saying, I reduced something bad by 35%. I increased something good by 14%. I eliminated something. I, I you know, saved the company this much money or I made this much money. So it's very metrics-driven whenever possible. So that's number one one is those that lack of achievements. Number two is branding. So most people have nothing on their resume that brands them at all. They just start right in, here's what I did and here's where I did it. If they have branding, it's completely non-differentiating. So it says something like um, hardworking team player, <laughs> as opposed to all the candidates that, that you know, present themselves as slackers who are loners, right? Um, I actually was working with a an accountant one time, and I said, okay, we're working on your, you know, your brand. And I, when I work with my clients, we actually spend an entire hour on branding. Uh, but the first pass is usually pretty ugly. So I said to this accountant, tell me what makes you different. Why should they hire you over all the competition? <laughs> he said, I'm good with numbers, as opposed to all those accountants out there that cannot add, subtract, multiply, and divide. So we, of course, had to dig much deeper than that. So I think that's one of the best reasons to hire a certified, qualified resume writer like me is we can look at you and we can ask the right questions, especially someone like me who's also a coach. We can pull that out of you in a way that you just can't you, it, the saying is you can't read the label of the bottle that you're in. So it's very hard to look at yourself from that perspective and see what do I bring to the table that none of the other candidates bring. But having that expert in your corner to help you do that, then we get really clear. And that marketing shows up in your resume, shows up on your LinkedIn profile. It shows up in the interview when they say, tell us about yourself. It shows up in your elevator pitches everywhere. It's such important information. And 99 out of 100 people are walking around the earth today having no idea what their brand is. We had a get another guest on the show not too long ago who has finance background but she said her focus is the wine industry and i thought i had to stop and think about that i go you're a specialist in taxes but you're saying your specialty 
is the wine industry. And she explained that. So it makes more sense because now that's her brand. Right. And so we would, if I were working with her, I would want to know why is she so good in the wine industry? What does she do differently? So if I hire her versus, I don't know, Joe Schmo, who's, you know, worked in other industries, what what am I going to get from her that I wouldn't get from these other people? And I have a process that I take clients through. We kind of look at it in about four different ways as we approach their their brand. And one of them always kind of resonates with them. But just looking at it, kind of approaching it from different angles. What's your special sauce? What do you keep being asked to do? Because nobody keeps asking you to do something that you stink at, right? So what do I keep being asked to do? What's my unique constellation of attributes? And by that, I mean, do I have a combination of education, skills, credentials that that's my brand, actually. Nobody else has all the things I have. They have one or the other, you know, some of those things. But I don't know of anybody in my space that has all those credentials. And then there are some other tools, but it's just looking at it from different perspectives until we land on something that makes sense to them and we can work with. Another one of your podcasts, so you can imagine I do listen. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Another one of your podcast episodes featured your top 10 leadership derailers. Talk to us about a couple of those derailers that can throw us off. I don't remember which 10 I said in there, but I can tell you what some of my favorite ones are (laughs) today. Um, I think one of the biggest derailers is an assumption, a mindset that I have to be called a leader. I have to be given a leadership position before I can demonstrate leadership capabilities. Leadership should be built into the, for true leaders, it's built into their DNA and they show it no matter what. I can remember so clearly, I spent 22 years in higher education and, and at both universities, we hired a lot of students to work in our office and they were doing, it's minimum wage, but they were doing yeoman's work in those jobs helping students. And it was so obvious to us, and I remember especially a couple of the girls, I went up to them and said, you know, I can see that you're going to be successful wherever you go. It does not matter because you've shown such leadership here in this job where you could have very easily come in and done the minimum and, you know, gotten by. And so recognizing that you want to demonstrate leadership qualities before you get the title. Don't wait until they give you the title. I think one of the other big ones, and I know this one was in that podcast, was uh, the, the the death knell of gossiping. So <laughs> you're, you're laughing as I say that. Yeah. So recognizing that, and this one's, this one's been a challenge for me in my career. I've had to, I've, I've uh, had to eat some words over the years, but recognizing that you just never know who you're speaking to, who they know. And I, I try very hard whenever I'm speaking about anyone to speak as if they were in the room with me and, and just being very careful about, about what I say about other people. That can be <laughs> embarrassing after oh, yeah. someone speaks horribly about someone only to find out that the subject is the brother-in-law of the person you were just talking with. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's exactly. You know, I don't think there are five degrees of separation for most people, and certainly not here in Tallahassee, Florida. No. So (laughs) I'm very careful. I'm too worried. I guess I'm almost paranoid about getting caught in that situation. But then when people bring gossip to me, 
I'm, I make it a business to say, well, you know, I hope you don't plan this to be a real secret because I may repeat it to somebody. Ooh, I like that. I you like know. that. I always think about these. There's been a number of movies and television shows where they go in the bathroom at the school or wherever it is, and they're saying something horrible or doing something horrible, and somebody's propped themselves up in one of the stalls and taken their feet up off the ground, and they hear everything, and it, it comes back to bite them in a big way. So that's kind of the mindset that I <laughs> I think about this. So we all have to just remember middle school, we'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, what guidance would you give somebody who needs to overcome a negative element in their work history? It's so important when you perceive that you have a negative uh, aspect. So let's say it's an employment gap to really look at the reality of that. So one of the things that I do in working with clients in mindset is we separate out the fact from the thought about the fact. And the, the fact is always neutral, right? So I was unemployed for six months. That's a fact. What I think about that makes all the difference in the world. So if I've decided that that six-month gap means I'm not employable, I'm going to be hard to employ, and I, I'm going to show up a certain way, not a good way. But if I think I've got this covered, I don't have any problem explaining it, and I'll get into some strategies for how to explain it. But if I'm confident that this is no big deal, then I'm going to behave differently. I'm going to show up differently in a way that serves me much better. And so when we're talking about a gap in employment, and I've had, needless to say, a lot of clients with this issue in the recent months, I tell them, look, you're in really good company right now. Nobody's going to look at that too closely because of what's going on in the job market. And if you have an older gap in employment, like let's so say you were out of work from 2011 to 2012, and you've done some good things since then and you've got good work record, not a big deal. So I think step one has to be looking at the fact of the situation and number two, deciding what you want to make it mean. And then you can be in the right headspace to decide how to overcome it. So if it's if it's a gap in employment, you know, what what was the circumstance? And I and I always coach my clients, you never want to say anything negative about the employer. So let's say that you left that job because you were being sexually harassed. Let's not bring that up in the interview. Does not serve you. You know, we had there was um a conflict of interest, and I felt it was in my best interest to leave Leave it at that. So keeping the facts, not going into too much detail, um, but just reassuring them, right? And sometimes you even want to talk about that in your cover letter so that maybe maybe they wouldn't otherwise give you an interview, but you've covered it in the cover letter, you've talked about that gap in employment, and you've dealt with it so that at least they know it, and now they can decide what they want to do, whether they still want to interview you or not. Well, what if the person really was professionally immature and a few years ago behaved badly at work, definitely could have improved, and then had some blemishes in their files, but now they've matured, they see the errors of their way, and they're trying to move on with life. How would you coach that person to move on? I would want to look at that on an individual basis and see, is there anything about that old job that's actually going to show up for a prospective new employer? You know, how far back are we looking? How egregious was this? Most companies, so if you used to work at ABC Company and this is where you performed badly and you behaved badly, 
most companies are not going to say anything negative about you for fear of retribution, for fear of a lawsuit. So they're simply going to say, yes, she worked here from X date to X date. Her uh, job title was whatever it was. And they may say she is or she isn't eligible for rehire. That's one question that is common. So they may say she's not eligible for rehire, but that could mean a lot of things, right? So chances are we wouldn't necessarily know about what behaved back then. So my strategy probably, and again, it's a case-by-case basis, but I think what I would want to do with that client is coach her around some of the questions she might be asked in the interview that would allow her to talk about that growth and bring it up. So it could be a behavioral question like, tell me about a time when you underperformed at work. Tell me about a time when you weren't happy with your job performance. And then I can coach them around how to answer that question in a way that would address any concern, but also give them points. Like they they come out ahead by the way they answer that question. Terrific. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> Were you behaving badly early on, Gloria? Oh, not me. <laughs> You're looking at the ultimate goody two-shoes here. You and me both, girl. We are cut from the same cloth. I, I think sometimes I'm a little too well-behaved. But no. I gave that up when I went into self-employment. Now I, I get to be a little naughty. <laughs> A little naughty, but you still need to keep clients. So. <laughs> Only naughty in the sense that it's it's hilarious to me when a client who doesn't know me will say, now, look, I'm looking for somebody who will shoot straight with me. I'm like, you you have no idea how you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> it's coming at you right It'll now. It'll be right there, and you won't always like it, but I'm going to give you the medicine that you need. No, but I, I raised three sons, and they... <laughs> They have friends, and sometimes I hear about things with their friends, and sometimes their friends become like quasi-children of my own. Mm -hmm. So I've heard about a couple incidents, and I wanted to share something with them, but I'm thinking, hmm, maybe I'll just refer them. This is out of my realm, not where I want to go. Understood. What advice can you give a woman age 50 and older to help her stand out in the job market? I keep coming back to the the topic of mindset, but first it has to start with a core belief that, number one, you are not too old. You are just the right age because guess what? You're the age that you are. It's a completely unchangeable thing. And so to dwell on, I'm too old to get a job, I'm too old to stand out, I'm too old to get the promotion, it's all nonsense, right? It does not serve you at all. So we start with that core belief that, let's just say I'm 50 years old and I've got you know, 15 more years that I want to contribute to in a company. And then we start building on that with these are the things that I'm really good at. These are my strengths. These are, this is what I bring to the table, the maturity, the experience, all of those things. So it has to start with the, it's an inside job. It has to start with the inner workings. And then from there, you look for those opportunities to stand out. You get a sense of What's important to your boss because your job is to make him or her look good, right? So figuring out what is that person not like to do or doesn't do well and what can I take off their plate? So we want to make sure that this 50-year-old woman 
doesn't take something off of the boss's plate that she's not good at. That's not going to help her stand out. Or something that she just doesn't want to do, doesn't play to her strengths. So she wants to look for where's the gap with this boss. Okay, gap. Boss does not like doing reports. Boss is just, you just hear him complaining whenever he's got to do reports. 50-year-old woman loves to do reports. She's very thorough. She's had a lot of success with that. Perfect match there. There's no dissonance there, right? So she finds a place where she can fit in, where she can add value. She can take something off the boss's plate. She can solve a problem, and then she does it exceptionally well. And then as that project is wrapping up, she makes sure that she gets some sort of acknowledgement for that. And, and it has to be kind of in line with the, the project. If it was something small, you know, you might just get a pat on the back. If it's something larger, would you be willing to put that on my LinkedIn profile as a recommendation? Or uh, could I be, you know, would you be willing to submit me for this monthly employee prize or something like that. So making sure that it's in line. But women in particular tend not to want to toot their horns, right? They just want to put their head down and do the work. And every once in a while, you want to pick your head up and say, "I, you know, here's this thing I did. Not from a sense of, look at me, look at me, I'm so proud of myself, but I'm contributing. I'm making the company better. I'm making the department better. And I, I want that acknowledged. It's a very different mindset. It is. You know, when you were speaking there, I, I, did, I never even considered LinkedIn. I know I personally don't utilize LinkedIn, LinkedIn as well. LinkedIn is my f- best friend. <laughs> I love, don't get me started on LinkedIn, Gloria. <laughs> we need a whole workshop yes, on LinkedIn. I I'm learning it now. Oh, I love it so much. And what I love about the recommendations function on LinkedIn is that that's such a public place to deposit something great that someone has said about you. It has to come from the other person. It cannot be put on there by you. So there is authenticity to that recommendation. Someone who, you know, a recruiter is on your profile and they look at those recommendations, they know that they're authentic. And also... You can then pull from those recommendations if they want something for a a new employer or you want to – I've done uh, pull quotes on resumes that I've pulled directly from LinkedIn recommendations. Whenever I have a prospective client, every time I say I want you to go to my profile, I have 50-plus recommendations on there, take a look at those you'll get a sense of what it's like to work with me. So I like it because it's a great place to deposit that positive comment and then I can I can repurpose it in other ways, but I can't take it from another source and put it myself onto LinkedIn. Got it. Well, I can't promise that the referral I'm going to make will follow through, but trust and believe I'm going to refer someone to you, and I'm going to also sound so knowledgeable when I say, go to her LinkedIn recommendations and check her out. See what they're saying about her. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. Now, please talk about a little bit about age discrimination. Do you find that more young people are whining about They're saying I'm too young and I can't get X type of job. Or there are more older people complaining. They're saying I'm too old. I'm about to retire. I don't know that people will literally say that right now, but they'll hint around. 
It's definitely the latter. It is people who believe that they're too old. But when I drill down on that and ask the question, they're never told that. And part of it is because it's pretty illegal to say that to somebody. <coughs> Excuse me. So they believe that they're too old. And, it, and as we talked about earlier with the mindset, it affects how they show up. You know, if you think you're old, you show up, guess what, old, you look old, you act old, you sound old, right? So we want to, we want to look at that thought and we want to recognize it that it is just that. It is a thought. It is a belief that we have. And we also want to recognize that it does not serve us. Now, I don't live in la-la land where I think that nobody age discriminates because it's a real thing. So then we look at what do we do when we suspect that we're being age discriminated? And the bottom line is I tell people, you don't want to work there either. If they think that you're too old, whatever age you are, you don't want to work there either. You want to find a company that values your experience and values your wisdom and, and all of that. And it's no different than someone who says, I had, a, I had a client who was a CEO and had never gotten a bachelor's degree, and he lost his job, and now he's looking for a job, and he's freaked out because he doesn't have a bachelor's degree, and he's like my age. So that's his concern. It could be I don't have a certain certification or I was incarcerated or whatever it is. We all have our stuff. None of us is perfect. But the, the, the particular thing about age is that you can't change it. So dwelling on it and thinking I'm too old does not serve you at all. So just recognizing that, yes, there are some companies that are going to discriminate. They're, you know, they're run by 30-year-olds who think that anybody over 40 is a dinosaur. You don't want to work there. You want to find companies. And one of the sources that I really love is AARP. For the guides that they have, here are companies that really like older workers and some of those kinds of tools so that you're, you know, going in the right direction of companies that will value your experience. Okay. Now we're going to switch topics all together on this podcast. We always provide opportunities to recognize birthdays and celebrate with our listeners by offering a fun story or birthday trivia. Tell us about your most fun or interesting birthday. Oh, Over 50. So easy. My 60th birthday, Tuscany. Oh. Does it get better than that? Uh, we spent, my daughter and I, who was 24 at the time, I think, uh, we spent three weeks in Italy and Greece and um, my dear friend here in town, who you may know, Chanel Jefferson, she planned that trip for me. She's a, a travel agent here in Tallahassee. And my birthday, on the day of my birthday, which is April 15th, haha, tax day, we, we started out with a tour in Florence. And we took this little bus. There were only like eight of us on the little bus. Went way up into Siena, which is the kind of the high point in the Tuscan mountains, and then worked our way down. We had lunch at a winery with a wine tasting in Montepulciano. <laughs> and um, at the end of the day, the whole group wanted to take me to this rooftop bar for cocktails to celebrate my birthday. So we sat on the top of the roof of, of, the, um, of the hotel and had these amazing cocktails. And it, it just was the most perfect birthday. My goodness, I think I've met Chanel. She's fabulous. Yeah, so she's still in the travel mm -hmm, industry. Mm -hmm. It hasn't bottomed out because of Well, COVID I mean, I or... think it has, but she's she's still there and, and trying to help people and 
trying to find pockets where people can travel. Yeah. Yeah. We're thinking maybe 2022 we'll be brave enough to go. I've never been to Tuscany, so oh, I may put that on the list. Florence, you know, I I was told I had it. We, so we started in Venice. Then we went. We spent three days in Venice, four days in Florence, three days in Rome. And then we went to Athens and Santorini uh, in the Greek Isles. And everybody said, you know, you want to go to Rome, you want to see it, but you're going to fall in love with Florence. And they were absolutely right. Rome confused us. We were lost all the time. We were always going in the wrong direction. <laughs> and it was just... And guess what? Don't go to Rome during Easter week. Bad idea. There were a gajillion people there. It was it was a nightmare. So we didn't love Rome, but oh my gosh, I can't wait to go back to Florence and to Tuscany. It was amazing. Well, you mentioned there were eight people. Were they eight strangers you met on the mm-hmm. tour? Yep. That's so much fun. I they love were, meeting new people. That's so They were much all fun. couples. Yeah, they were all couples except for Chloe and I. And we just, and I've never, we didn't stay in touch at all. It was just that one moment in time. And we just had an amazing, amazing day. And the I best could, gelato ever. They stopped this little, this little town in the, in the Tuscan mountains that had award-winning gelato. And the line, it was just like a little storefront. You didn't even go in it. You just walked up to it. And the line was halfway across the square. And I'm thinking, we're going to spend our whole time allotted for this stop in this line. But they were like on it. (laughs) It was like, oh, my gosh, it's amazing. That is so nice. It sounds like so much. I'm sold already. fabulous. I've already written down Chanel. That's what holiday. Holiday tours and cruises, I think is what it's called. Yeah, I'm going to check with Chanel, but for 2022. That sounds about right. I'm still waiting. I do have one shot already. Oh, good for you. Good for you. Yes, yes. We'll see what happens with the other one. (laughs) Well, Lisa, it was so much fun. Such a pleasure. Yes, thank you so much. I learned a lot about job search. I hope I personally don't have to do one anytime soon, but we never know. Exactly. I may become so bored in retirement that I have to get another job. That happens more than you can possibly imagine. They they have about six months to a year. All the closets are clean. The garage is immaculate. The painting has been done. The flower beds are redone, and they're like, get me out of here. <laughs> And and the and the way that I put it is they don't want to put the car in park. They just want to downshift a little bit. They don't want to be the CEO or the person with all the responsibility anymore. And they don't need that, maybe that income, but they don't want to put the car in park either. Exactly. Those are the people I'm looking for, for my Milestone Divas. Yes. Thanks again, Lisa. You're I really welcome. appreciate it. Bye now. Bye. Today's program was brought to you by Replay Fitness, Inc., helping women age 50 and older to retire happy and feel good again. Please send your emails to info at replayfitnessinc.com to join our wait list and be informed when new sessions are open. If you are already subscribed to the Cup of Glow podcast, thank you. If you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe so you will be notified when new episodes have been posted. Until next time, this has been the Cup of Glow podcast with Gloria Darling, your sassy 60s milestone diva. 
It's about a decade and not a day. <laughs>